Chapter 19 of At the Sign of the Jack-O-Lantern by Myrtle Reed. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 19 Various Departures Algernon Paul, called Mrs. Holmes shrilly, let the kitty alone. Everyone else on the premises heard the command, but Algernon Paul perhaps because he was not yet fully accustomed to his new name, continued forcing Claudius Tiberius to walk about on his forefeet, the rest of him being held uncomfortably in the air by the guiding influence. Algernon! The voice was so close this time that the cat was freed by the persecutor's violent start. Seeing that it was only his mother, Algernon Paul attempted to recover his treasure again, and was badly scratched by that self-same treasure, whereupon Mrs. Holmes soundly cuffed Claudius Tiberius for scratching dear little Ebby, I mean Algernon Paul, and received a bite or two on her own account. Come, Ebby, dear, she continued, we are going now. We have been driven away from dear uncle's. Where is sister? Sister was discovered in the forbidden paradise of the chicken coop, and dragged out howling. Willie, not desiring to leave dear uncle's, was forcibly retrieved by Dick from the roof of the barn. Mr. Harold Vernon Perkins had silently disappeared in the night, but no one feared foul play. He'll be waiting at the train, I reckon, said Mrs. Dodd, and most likely composing a poem on departure, or else breathing into a tube to see if he's mad. She had taken her dismissal very calmly after the first shock. "'A woman what's been married seven times, same as I be,' she explained to Dorothy, "'gets used to being moved around from place to place. "'My sixth husband had the moving habit terrible. "'No sooner would we get settled nice and comfortable in a place, "'and I got enough acquainted to borrow sugar and tea and molasses from my new neighbors, "'then Thomas would decide to move, and more than likely it'd be to some new town where there was a great opening in some new business that he'd never tried his hand at yet. My dear, I've been the wife of an undertaker, a livery stable keeper, a patent medicine man, a grocer, a butcher, a farmer, and a justice of the peace. All in one and the same marriage. Seems if there wa'n't no business Thomas couldn't feel to turn his hand to. He knowed how they all ought to be run. If anybody was making a failure of anything, Thomas knowed just why it was failing, and I must say he ought to know, too, for I never see no more steady failure than Thomas. They say a rolling stone never gets no moss on it, but it gets worn terrible smooth, and by the time I'd moved to eight or ten different houses, and got as many as eleven houses all fixed up, the corners was all broke off in me, as well as off in the furniture. My third husband left me well provided with furniture, but when I went to my seventh altar I didn't have nothing left but a soap-box and half a red blanket on account of having moved around so much. I got so's I'd never pack all the things in any one place, but keep em in their dry-goods boxes and barrels nice and handy to go on again. When the movin' fit come on, Thomas, I was always in such light marching order that I could go on a day's notice, and that's the way we usually went. 
I told him once I'd be easier and cheaper to fit up a prairie schooner such as they used to cross the plains in, and then when we wanted to move, all we'd have to do would be to put a dipper of water on the fire and tell the mules to get up. But it riled him so terrible that I never said nothing about it again, though all through my sixth marriage it seemed a dreadful likely notion. A woman with much marrying experiences soon learns not to rile a husband when taint necessary. Sometimes I think the poor critters has enough to contend with outside without being obliged to fight at home. Though it does beat all, my dear, what a terrible exertion tis for most men to earn a living. None of my husbands was ever obliged to fight at home, and I take great comfort thinking how peaceful they all was when they was living with me, and how peaceful they all be now. Though I think it's more than likely that Thomas is a sufferin' because he can't move no more at present. Her monologue was interrupted by the arrival of the stage, which Harlan had gladly ordered. Mrs. Holmes and the children climbed into it without vouchsafing a word to anybody. But Mrs. Dodd shook hands all around and would have kissed both Dorothy and Elaine had they not dodged the caress. "'Remember, my dear,' said Mrs. Dodd to Dorothy, "'I don't bear you no grudge, though I never was turned out of no place before. It's all in a lifetime, the same as Marion.' and if I should ever marry again and have a home of my own to invite you to, you and your husband'll be welcome to come and stay with me as long as I've stayed with you, or longer, if you felt twas pleasant, and I'd try to make it so. The kindly speech made Dorothy very much ashamed of herself, though she did not know exactly why, and Gladys Gwendolen, with a cherubic smile, leaned out of the stage window and waved a chubby hand, saying, Bye-bye! Mrs. Holmes alone seemed hard and unforgiving, as she sat sternly upright, looking neither to the right nor the left. "'Rather unusual, isn't it?' whispered Elaine, as the ponderous vehicle turned into the yard. "'To see so many of one's friends going on the stage at once?' "'Not at all,' chuckled Dick. "'Everybody goes on the stage when they leave the cars.' "'Good-bye, Belinda,' yelled Uncle Israel, putting his flannel-bandaged head out of one of the round upper windows. He had climbed up on a chair to do it. "'I don't reckon I'll ever hear from you again except where Lazarus heard from the rich man.' "'Don't let that trouble you, Israel,' shrieked Mrs. Dodd piercingly. "'I take it the rich man was digging for eight cents in Satan's orchard and didn't have no time to look up his friends.' The rejoinder seemed not to affect Uncle Israel, but it sent Dick into a spasm of merriment, from which he recovered only when Harlan pounded him on the back. "'Come on,' said Harlan. It's not time to laugh yet. We've got to pack Uncle Israel's bed. Uncle Israel was going on the afternoon train and in another direction. He sat on his trunk and issued minute instructions, occasionally having the whole thing taken apart to be put together in a different kind of a parcel. As an especial favor, Dick was allowed to crate the bath cabinet, though as a rule no profane hands were permitted to touch this instrument of health. Uncle Israel himself arranged his bottles and boxes and powders, a hand satchel containing his medicines for the journey and the night. I reckon, he said, if I take a double dose of my painkiller this noon and a double dose of my nerve tonic just before I get on the cars, I can get along with these few remedies till I get to Betsy's where I'll have to take a full course of treatment to pay for all this traveling. The painkiller bottle 
the nerve tonic bottle is both dreadful heavy, in spite of being only half full. How would it do, suggested Harlan kindly, to pour the nerve tonic into the painkiller and then you'd only have one bottle to carry? You mix them inside anyway. You seem real intelligent, nephew, quavered Uncle Israel. I never knowed I had no such smart relations. As you say, I mix em in my system anyway, and it can't do no harm to do it in the bottle first. No sooner said than done, but strangely enough, the mixture turned a vivid emerald green and had such a peculiarly vile odor that even Uncle Israel refused to have anything further to do with it. I shouldn't wonder but what you done me a real service, nephew, continued Uncle Israel. Here I've been taking this month after month and never suspecting what it was doing to my insides. I've suspicioned for some time that the painkiller wasn't doing me no good, and I've been going to try Dr. Jones's squaw remedy anyhow. I shouldn't wonder if my whole insides was green instead of red as they ought to be. The next time I go to the city, I'm going to take this here compound to Healing Emporium where I bought it and ask him what there is in it that paints folks' insides. Take nothing more'n green paint. The patient was so interested in this new development that he demanded a paintbrush and experimented on the porch railing, where it seemed, indeed, to be green paint. In getting a nearer view, he touched his nose to it and acquired a bright green spot on the tip of that highly useful organ. Desiring to test it by every sense, he next put his ear down to the railing, as though he expected to hear the elements of the compound rushing together explosively. "'My hearing is bad,' he explained. "'I wish you'd listen to this here a minute or two, nephew, and see if you don't hear something.' But Harlan, with his handkerchief pressed tightly to his nose, politely declined. "'I don't feel,' continued Uncle Israel, tottering into the house, "'as though a poor sick man with green insides instead of red order be turned out.' Judson Center is a terrible healthy place, or the sanitarium wouldn't have been built here, and traveling on the cars would shake me up considerable. I feel as though I was going to be took bad, and as if I ought not to go. If somebody'll set up my bed, I'll just lay down on it and die now. Ebenezer would be willing for me to die in his house. I know for he often said it'd be a real pleasure to him to pay my funeral expenses if I could only make up my mind to claim him and went on the old man pitifully. I feel to claim him now. Set up my bed, he wheezed, and let me die. I'm being took bad. He was swiftly reasoning himself into abject helplessness when Dick came valiantly to the rescue. "'I'll tell you what, Uncle Israel,' he said. "'If you're going to be sick, and of course you know whether you are or not, "'we'll just get a carriage and take you over to the sanitarium. "'I'll pay your board there for a week myself, "'and by that time we'll know just what's the matter with you.' "'The patient brightened amazingly at the mention of the sanitarium, "'and was more than willing to go. "'I've took all kinds of treatment,' he creaked. But I ain't never been to no sanitarium, and I missed out whether they've ever had anybody with green insides. I reckon, he added proudly, 
that that wandering pain in my spinal stump bum some to know what it is even in the big store where they keep all kinds of medicines there couldn't nobody tell me i know what disease tis but i won't tell nobody a man knows his own system best and i reckon them smart doctors up at that sanitarium will be scratching their heads over such a complicated case as i be send my bed on to betsy's but write on it that it ain't to be set up till i come twouldn't be worth while setting it up at the sanitarium for a week and i'm mindin to try a medical bed anyways i ain't never had none get the carriage quick for i feel an ailment coming on me powerful hard every minute suppose said harlan at a swift aside that they refuse to take the patient what shall we do then we won't discuss that answered dick in a low tone my plan is to leave the patient drive away swiftly and an hour or so later walk back and settle with the head of the repair shop for a week's mending in advance harlan laughed gleefully at which uncle israel pricked up his ears i'm in on the bill he continued we'll go halves on the mending laughin said uncle israel scornfully at your poor old uncle what ain't goin to live much longer if your insides was all turned green you wouldn't be laughin you'd be thinking about your immortal souls it was late afternoon when the bed was finally dumped on the side track to await the arrival of the freight train being securely covered with a canvas tarpaulin to keep it from the night dew and stray malicious germs seeking that which they might devour uncle israel insisted upon overseeing this job himself so that he did not reach the sanitarium until almost nightfall dick and harlan were driving and they shamelessly left the patient at the door of the temple of healing with his crated bath cabinet his few personal belongings and his medicines turning back at the foot of the hill they saw that the wanderer had been taken in though the bath cabinet still remained outside main trick to play on a respectable institution observed dick lashing the horses into a gallop but i'll go over in the morning and square it with em i'll go with you volunteered harlan it's just as well to have two of us for we won't be popular the survivor can take back the farewell message to the wife and family of the other he meant it for a jest but even in the gathering darkness he could see the dull red mounting to dick's temples i'll be darned thought harlan seeing the whole situation instantly then moved by a brotherly impulse he said cheerfully go in and win old man good luck to you thanks muttered dick huskily but it's no use she won't look at me she wants a nice lady like poet that's what she wants no she doesn't returned harlan with deep conviction i don't claim to be a specialist but when a man and a poet are entered for the matrimonial handicap i'll put my money on the man every time dick swiftly changed the subject and began to speculate on probable happenings at the sanitarium they left the conveyance in the village from whence it had been taken and walked uphill lights gleamed from every window of the jack-o'-lantern but the eccentric face of the house had for the first time a friendly aspect warmth and cheer were in the blinking eyes and the grinning mouth though as dick said it seemed impossible that no pumpkin seeds were left inside 
those who do not believe in personal influence should go into a house which uninvited and undesired guests have regretfully left every alien element had gone from the house on the hill yet the very walls were still vocal with discord one expected every moment to hear uncle israel's wheeze the shrill spiteful comment of mrs holmes or a howl from one of the twins what shall we do asked harlan to celebrate the day of emancipation i know answered dorothy with a little laugh we'll burn a bed whose bed queried dick mr perkins bed responded elaine readily the tone of her voice sent a warm glow to dick's heart and he went to work at the heavy walnut structure with more gladness than exercise of that particular kind had ever given him before harlan rummaged through the cellar and found a bottle of uncle ebenezer's old port which for some occult reason had hitherto escaped mrs smithers moved to joyful song did herself proud in the matter of fried chicken and flaky biscuit dorothy had taken all the leaves out of the table so that now it was cosily set for four and placed a battered old brass candlestick with a tallow candle in it in the center seems like living doesn't it asked harlan until now he had not known how surely though secretly distressed he had been by aunt rebecca's persistent kin claudius tiberius apparently felt the prevailing cheerfulness and purred vigorously in elaine's lap afterward they made a fire in the parlor even though the night was so warm that they were obliged to have all the windows open and inspired by the portrait of uncle ebenezer discussed the peculiarities of his self-invited guests the sacrificial flame arising from the poet's bed directed the conversation to mr perkins and his gift of song dick though feeling more deeply upon the subject than any of the rest was wise enough not to say too much i found something under his mattress remarked dick when the conversation flagged while well, i was taking his blooming crib apart to chop it up i guess it must be a poem he drew a sorely flattened roll from his pocket and slipped off the crumpled blue ribbon it was indeed a poem entitled farewell i thought he might have been polite enough to say good-bye said dorothy perhaps it was easier to write it read it cried elaine her eyes dancing please do so dick read as follows all happy times must reach an end some time some day somewhere a great soul seldom has a friend any way or anywhere but when devoted to the ideal must pass these things all by his eyes fixed ever on his art which lives though he must die amid the tide of cruel greed which laps upon our shore no one takes thought of the poet's need nor how his griefs may pour upon his poor devoted head and his sad troubled heart but all these things each one must take who gives his life to art his crust of bread his tick of straw his enemies deny and at the last his patron saint will even pass him by the wide world is his resting place all o'er it he may roam and none will take the poet in or offer him a home the tears of sorrow blind him now 
misunderstood is he but thus great souls have always been and always they will be his eyes fixed ever on the ideal will be there till he die to-night he goes but leaves a poem to say good-bye good-bye poor mr perkins commented dorothy softly yes mimicked harland poor mr perkins i don't see but what he'll have to work now like any plain ordinary mortal with no gift what is the ideal anyway queried elaine looking thoughtfully into the embers of the poet's bedstead that's easy answered dick not without evident feeling it's whatever mr perkins happens to be doing or trying to do he fixes it for the rest of us i think suggested dorothy after a momentary silence that the ideal consists in minding your own business and gently but firmly assisting others to mind theirs all unknowingly dorothy had expressed the dominant idea of the dead master of the house she fancied that the pictured face over the mantel was about to smile at her dorothy and uncle ebenezer understood each other now and she no longer wished to have the portrait moved before they separated for the night dick told them all about the midnight gathering in the orchard which he had witnessed from afar and which the others enjoyed beyond his expectations that's what uncle meant said elaine by fixing a surprise for relations i don't blame him observed harlan not a blooming bit i wish the poor old duck could have been here to see it why wasn't i in on it he demanded of dick somewhat resentfully when anything like that was going on why didn't you take me in it wasn't for me to interfere with his doings protested dick but i do wish you could have seen uncle israel at the recollection he went off into a spasm of merriment which bid fair to prove fatal the rest laughed with him not knowing just what it was about such was the infectious qualm of dick's mirth they've all gone laughed elaine happily taking her bedroom candle from dorothy's hand they've all gone every single one and now we're going to have some good times dick watched her as she went upstairs the candlelight shining tenderly upon her sweet face and thus betrayed himself to dorothy who had suspected for some time that he loved elaine oh lord grumbled dick to himself when he was safely in his own room everybody knows it now except her i'll bet even sis smithers and the cat are dead next to me i might as well tell her to-morrow as any time the result will be just the same better do it and have it over with the cat'll tell her if nobody else does but that night strangely enough claudius tiberius disappeared to be seen or heard of no more End of chapter 19